What does it mean to connect to your future at Lake Michigan College? They connect you to your future opportunities. They partner with local industries and employers, ensuring their programs align to the needs of the community's workforce. Lake Michigan College can help you get to the future you want. Visit lakemichigancollege.edu. Hello. My name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. Today's guest on With Respect is Katie Bindley. Katie is a writer for the Wall Street Journal. She's written a piece uh, during uh, the summer uh, in the journal called, entitled, The Life I Never Intended to Love, Dog Owner. Now, she is uh, going to tell us about where she's from, what she's done in life, but we're going to focus also on dogs and their relationship to us. Katie Bindley, with respect. Katie, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Good. How are you? I, I'm actually fantastically wonderful. Yeah, actually, I'm all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's been a long day. My question, first question to everybody that I have on the show is, where are you from originally? I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. Uh, I haven't lived there in ages, but uh, I still have family in the suburb that I grew up in, so I'm still back there uh pretty often and it's actually i think i think the beginning i think that's where the beginning of my my story is because it's a a memory from childhood of my neighbor's golden retriever who was a young adolescent knocking me to the ground Uh, (laughs) out of out of exuberance (laughs) no good dog so um how did you get into you're a writer obviously you're a uh your specialty is what for the wall street journal usually writing about the tech industry, uh, the tech labor market, Silicon Valley culture, and kind of workplace trends within tech. How did you get into writing? That's a, always a fascinating thing. Each writer and author we have on our, our program has a different road to uh, how they got to write. And so what's yours? Oh, my. Uh, I was writing from the time I was a very young child, uh, and I don't really mean writing my name, but um, writing stories. uh, It was a way for me to, I don't know, almost cope sometimes. I'm the youngest of four children, and my mom has saved some of these notes that I would write when my, when I'd be mad at my siblings, when they'd be mean to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, uh, oh gosh, one time I wrote up a whole thing predicting each of their futures and it was, it was not looking good for, for them at the time. Uh, I also wrote, I wrote angry letters to my sister when she was in, 
in college because I think I think she I was I don't even remember what I was mad at her for, but I, I informed her that I was the editor of my school paper. And I think I was in the fifth or sixth grade and I spelled the word editor wrong. Um, <laughs> so there was there was that, you know, there was that going on. But also, I mean, I think in in second grade, I had written a series called Super Bumper Baby. Uh, I also <laughs> had a I had a Kate the Detective series at one point. So it was just something I always was drawn to, whether it was journaling um, or, you know, writing these sort of little stories I just mentioned. Uh, but then it was interesting because I, I went to college um, at Georgetown University. I majored in English. I did take some creative writing classes that were just really wonderful. I mean, some of my best academic memories from college are the creative writing classes that I took where we would write essays and then talk about them and workshop them. In, and they, these were fairly small classes where everyone got a lot of attention um, on their writing and, and feedback. And so then upon finishing college, I mean, I think I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't really know how one would go about that. It sort of sounded like saying, I'm gonna be an artist and something that's just really hard and possibly not achievable. Mm -hmm. So I sort of did other things for a couple of years right out of college. And then um, there was a, a really sad tragedy uh, where, a friend of mine from college was at a party and um, there was a, a porch that a bunch of kids were standing on and the porch collapsed. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, I think 12 people died. Um, and after he died, uh, I just, I just wrote this essay. I, I, I don't even know what prompted me to sit down and write it other than I was sad and I was just out of college and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I wrote a random essay and then I sent it to a friend of mine from, from Georgetown and asked if he could kind of read it and give me some feedback. And he'd been in touch with a writing professor of ours who had suggested that there were some writing competitions that we could try to submit our work to. So I did that. And then I, I was a finalist in the writing competition and got to go to New Orleans for a, a conference for a few days. And I think it was maybe once there was some sort of like external validation that I was pretty decent at it. I decided to try to make a career of it. And I took an internship at Washingtonian magazine where I was really just a fact checker. But, um, you know, from there I got to contribute some freelance articles to the magazine and then just decided this is what I want to do with my life. Whoa. That's an, inter <laughs> that's an interesting road. Now it's funny because my brother, um, from the time he was in the cradle, uh, seemed to be a, a writer also. And what he did, uh, which uh, caused some angst to my parents, was that he and a kid across the street, his buddy, um, decided to write a neighborhood newspaper. And oh, love it. that was fine, except when they started talking about Mrs. Jones had a visit from Mr. Smith and didn't, <laughs> and, and, and said, and the, the, the ruckus in the neighborhood uh, came directly to my mother, and she said, all right, enough, enough of that stuff. You know, if you want to write here, sit in a corner and write your name a hundred times. But, <laughs> but anyway, he went on. He, didn't, he wasn't deterred by negative uh, reviews, as it were. And he went on after uh, uh, undergrad. He went to uh, a Medill Journalism School at Northwestern, and um, wrote for the Army and 
when he was in uh, Vietnam. And uh, so then he came out and, and became a lawyer, but he was a lawyer with uh, experience as a journalist. He was a reporter. The point is, there is all kinds of paths to get to where you're, uh, you, <coughs> you eventually end up. And uh, it sounds like the two of you uh, sort of paired up in a, in a way. Uh, you came to it with a love of writing to begin with, and it just continued on. But you had some zigs and zags in your life, and but now you are in the Wall Street Journal. What, when you, what got you involved in tech writing, uh, technology? Well, I started at the Wall Street Journal at the end of 2015 as a, a mobile editor, which at the time involved me working on one of our apps. I was sort of curating stories and, um, you know, it's basically like all, all the reporters were writing stories, we were publishing on the website, and then I was kind of picking 10 of them to put in the app and then rotating them and kind of deciding uh, you know, what should be displayed most prominently and, and writing these little summaries of the of the articles, actually. Mm -hmm. And I, I took that job, even though it wasn't a real right, you know, it was a it was a news job, but it wasn't it wasn't a reporting position where I'd be writing, really. I took that job because I just started to care so much about the caliber of the publication that I was going to be working for more so than the actual role. Um, I wanted to be somewhere where I could grow and stay for a long time and where I just felt really good about the quality of the journalism. Um, and so that meant taking a job that was not being a writer and not being a reporter uh, and hoping that someone would recognize that, you know, <laughs> that, I, that I had some other skill that they could, that they could make use of. And so um, what ended up happening is that that I like basically I there we have this thing at the Wall Street Journal called the A-head um, and it runs on the front page and uh, what's really great about it these are kind of they're like slice of life really great stories I actually have one in today's paper about people who use pet psychics and we can talk more about that later because I'm sure you'll have questions about mm -hmm. what what pet, pet psychics do but yeah. um, so the the cool thing is that you know basically anyone at the paper can write them. And so I was a, a mobile editor and had an idea for one of these A-heads, which I actually got from my then boss's 13-year-old daughter. Um, and I pitched it and, you know, it was accepted and I wrote that. And then I, I don't know how long passed, but I came up with another idea that was also, it just happened to be tech related. Um, it was about teenagers who were making a lot of money fixing people's iPhones, like fixing the cracked screens, um, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, and so I'd written sort of two tech-related stories, and it turned out, I was living in New York at the time, it turned out that there was an opening out in the San Francisco Bureau, um, and I was approached by the, the personal tech editor at the time about this role, and um, started chatting with him, and just had a, a great conversation, and then he put me in touch with the, the bureau chief out here who's wonderful and and i just felt really motivated to to work for this bureau and to work hard for them and and that led me to being a tech reporter all right um did you have any train any tech training i mean all right here's the deal all right i'm of an age <laughs> i feel that i am way above the people in my peers in my age that i can actually type an email 
<laughs> and lo and behold, I even learned how to text. Now, don't push me beyond that. <laughs> but how how did you get, How do you, are you a techie yourself? No, no, that's the funny thing. I'm not actually much of a techie at all. Um, I, when it, when we started out with me on this beat, what, what I was going to be focusing on was sort of how tech affects our lives. And that's, that's a different thing than reviewing gadgets and knowing, you know, what every function on any app or phone does. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was actually, I, I think the fact that I wasn't a total techie was actually an advantage because in some ways you can kind of function almost as like a foreign correspondent to help explain some things to other readers who might, might be techies or might not be, um, but who have an interest in how technology shapes our lives. So that's really how it started. I mean, I wrote about, oh gosh, I mean, I wrote about all kinds of, of stuff that that didn't actually require me to have a super technical background. Mm -hmm. So of all the articles, other than this one that we're going to be talking about, all <laughs> the applications of your um, principle, what your task was, which is to see how tech affects our lives. What's the, the favorite one? Just pick one out. What was the most interesting to you about how does tech affect our lives? Oh my gosh. Um, I did a story years ago, not long after the Facebook Cambridge Analytica situation that kind of dove into how much tech companies can kind of learn about us and our, you know, through our data. And I, I basically did this first person story that was an experiment where um, I am, I am not married and I don't have children. Uh, and so I had already gone through to Facebook at some point and I had, you know, you can, you have, pri there's like ad settings and privacy settings and you can kind of check boxes to say like, I do not need to see content about, you know, motherhood or babies or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a way to, you know, and, and one of the things we did, you know, we do as reporters is kind of take a look at all these settings and see what they can do and then see how effective they are. This one of the things I was looking into at the time. So um, I'd gone through and selected all these things that basically said, you know, I'm not a mom, so you don't need to show me this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I did and I they just I, I can't remember if they just released a bunch of new controls, but, you know, they were making an effort to try to make people feel like they had more control over over their data and were, were making strides and sort of, you know, giving people various new tools to manage that. So what I did is sort of went through all the tools and I, I kind of checked every box I was supposed to. And then I wanted to do a test to see how effective those tools were. So I downloaded the what to expect when you're expecting app onto my phone and then wanted to see how long it would take before I got served some kind of pregnancy related app by Facebook or Instagram. And I believe it was 10 or 11 hours before I got an Instagram ad uh, for a maternity clothing brand. Uh -huh. So that was just fascinating to see that, like, you can take all these steps, but there's still somehow, somehow, <laughs> they still it's, know. It's the famous well, algorithms, the mystical, magical algorithms that get, the, they get through to you. Well, and what I tried to do is, I mean, I reached out to so, so, so many people to find out how exactly did it work on the back end where that I that I was served this ad? And I can't say anyone was eager to explain. It to me. 
I can understand that. All right, right now, we're going to take a break uh, right now. We're talking to Katie Bindley, a writer with the Wall Street Journal, and we've been talking about her background, which is going to lead into a fascinating uh, column that she wrote, which is going to be the topic of the rest of our, of our chat. Uh, this is John Smetanka, and we're on With Respect, and we'll be right back. So, Katie, uh, this is, as you know, we're a time for us to talk about dogs. Uh, this is Katie Bindley, by the way, who's the writer with the Wall Street Journal. And uh, she's agreed to come on with respect and, and to talk about this fascinating thing, which is not technology, but rather dogs. <laughs> so, Katie, uh, we share something in common. I have a dog. His name is Buck, and Buck, uh, before I began talking to you tonight, went almost drove me crazy wanting to come in and be a part of this chat by barking. I cannot <laughs> allow that to happen, um, but um, uh, because he doesn't speak my language, at least it's hard for you know to you know me to understand exactly what he's saying, which was part of what our problem was tonight. So. How did you get involved with dogs? Was this something you started with? Oh, dear Lord, no. Uh, so I, for my entire life, is what would, would was what one would call not a dog person. Um, we did not have any pets growing up, save I did have a goldfish named Jerry, and my brother had a pair of goldfish named Abbott and Costello. Uh, but there were there were no animals with any kind of fur in my household. Um, my mother is not a huge fan of dogs. My dad had grown up with them, but certainly never wanted one. Um, and so we just didn't, we had them in the neighborhood, but we didn't have one ourselves. And, you know, I had this, I had a couple of experiences as a, as a kid where I kind of developed a bit of a fear of them. And then as I got older, it really became like, I just didn't, really like them much. I, I really didn't like being, they would often like come up and, and lick me or jump on me. Um, I'm a pretty petite person. So that sometimes made me a little uncomfortable if it was a really large dog. Um, I remember back when I was living in New York City, uh, I would often go running along the West Side Highway. And there was a guy with a German Shepherd who would lunge at me and bark at me like while I was running. And he didn't really seem like he had great control of the dog. And it totally freaked me out. And then my super had a German Shepherd that would lunge at me. Uh, and then it would be, even if the dog was like friendly, I still found it really annoying to have my personal space invaded. So I remember one time I came back from a run this time in San Francisco and this woman got in the elevator of my building with her dog and I was wearing shorts and I was obviously sweaty because I had just run and the dog just like licked up my thigh and Ooh. the woman just kind of, the woman just kind of laughed. And I was like, this is so rude. 
Like you think it's funny. And yet I have your dog slobber all over my leg right now. And I don't, and I don't like dogs. So like, this is not charming or cute. And she thought it was like hilarious. Um, so I think there was certainly a sense of, I just found dog owners to be pretty entitled. I never understood like, why does a dog need to come in a store with you in a coffee shop? There is a sign that says that the dog is not allowed unless it's a service animal. And yet everyone has their dogs in the coffee shop or in the boutique or the whatever. And I just felt a sense of like, why, why does everyone else need to be subjected to your dogs? Uh, so that's, that's the background, which makes it all the more surprising sort of how we, I, how I ended up with a dog. <laughs> we now know, we now know the truth of what went yes. into your psyche and created yes. the anti-dog inside oh, yeah. of you. But oh yeah. What happened to change it? Well, okay. So I'm going to get into that. But one thing I want to say is also that like People who are not dog people, I feel like the rest of the world thinks that something's like wrong with us or we don't have souls because I remember feeling self-conscious about the fact that I didn't like dogs and just, it does seem to be this societal thing where if you don't like dogs, people are like, huh, what's wrong with you? So I never loved that I wasn't a dog person. It's just what I was, but, um, how I quote got into them, I mean, the pandemic hit, um, it was Mar probably March of 2020. And I, as I mentioned, I'm a runner. And so I wanted to see how many days in a row I could run. And that was largely just like boredom based. I was, you know, obviously working from home, not going into an office. We were all supposed to be not seeing each other. You know, I think this was even before, I don't remember if this was when you were allowed to be six feet apart or what it was, but it was like shelter in place. No one's doing anything. Uh, and so I would work all day and then I would finish work and then I would feel like a little batty and just think, okay, I got to go for a run. I'd go for my run, feel better. And I did this for, uh, I think it was 27 days, um, before I was a little bored and I have a friend, uh, with a dog named Edson. And I had met Edson a couple of years earlier over at, uh, this is, he was my then coworker over at his apartment. Uh, he was having, a bunch of us over and I was immediately struck because this dog and this dog is a German short haired pointer. Uh, I believe he was eight at the time or he was younger when I met him. But anyway, he really like didn't pay any attention to me. Not only did he not jump on me or lick me, I don't even know if he like sniffed me or said hi to me. He kind of laid on his bed politely and didn't really do anything. And I was intrigued by that. And then we walked up to the park near my apartment. I walked with my then coworker and his wife and he actually had the dog off leash on the sidewalk, uh, which, you know, got to have a pretty well-trained dog to do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he, the dog had been through some hunting training and the dog was a little bit ahead of us. And then my, my, my friend said, Edson, whoa. And the dog just stopped dead in its tracks. And I was like, wow, I have never seen a dog trained this way. Uh, and he just seemed like the most well-behaved creature that I was just struck by. I, I didn't want to get a dog, but I just saw a different side to dogs. And so then fast forward, you've got the pandemic and I had always run into my, my friend running with his dog. And I just was, I just like, I don't know if I texted him or I called him, but I said like, can I, can I take Edson for a run and just like, see what that would be like? Cause I'm bored and I'm curious. And he said, sure. So I went running with Edson and we went out to the Presidio um, 
And I let him off leash once we got to the Presidio and he just kind of started galloping down the trail. And I think I have this exact line in the story, but I just immediately recognized, like, I am feeling joy. Like the, this dog is like graceful and beautiful and he looks so happy. And I just felt happy watching him. And it was kind of intriguing. And then I'm like taking selfies of us and I'm just, you know, feeling, I don't know, just kind of enamored with this dog. And I started taking him every Friday for, um, I don't know how many weeks I did it, but I went, I went running with them quite a bit. I remember the first time I took him down to the beach and watched him like kind of splashing in the water. And again, it was just like more joy of watching this dog. Um, and then I started like Googling, you know, litter, just pictures of German short-haired pointer puppies and they were really cute. And I kind of was talking about it almost as a joke. I don't think I was serious about it, but I just got kind of curious about puppies and, um, and then eventually I reached out to a breeder. Um, and I, I, again, I don't think I was like really going to get a dog. I was just like, I'm just, I'm just asking questions. I'm well, just collecting you're, information. You're, you're a reporter for pity's sake. So you're, you're inquiring mind. You're trying to find out about this, these <laughs> animals that you, maybe I need to do some more research. Yeah, so I asked if she had any male liver roans that were going to be available, you know, for me to get. And she she happened to have two that were available in her most recent litter. And her name is Amelia. And then we started, like, having phone conversations. And we started texting. And I just was asking her so many questions. And I was extremely transparent with her. I was like, I told her my exact history, everything I'm telling you right now. I told her that I was afraid that I wouldn't love him. Like, what do we do? I don't know if I can become a dog person. I had been actually Googling, like, can you become a dog person? Is this something about yourself that can, that can change? Um, and I really feel Amelia was like meant to come into my life because she just accepted all of my questions and didn't judge me. And, um, you know, she said, if, if you don't love him or if anything goes wrong, I will always take him back. No matter what happens, I will always take him back. Uh, and that made me feel comfortable. And, um, and she, you know, I, I later asked her, like, why did you give me him? Like, why did you let me get him? I didn't, I'm not a hunter and these are hunting dogs. Um, I mean, she does, she does, she does, you know, have families who get her dogs too. But like, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not really an obvious candidate. And, um, you know, she said that she prays about these things and that she felt that I was someone who needed a dog. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I, basically, I still thought, like, I don't know if I'm going to get one. But then she was sending me videos of the dog, the puppies, and, you know, they're like six weeks old and being so adorable. It's not even funny. And then, and then you're, you're in pretty deep and you're like, you know, I'm taking out my phone and showing my siblings, like, look at mine. He's over in the corner. Isn't he, isn't he cute sleeping? And like, how, how sweet is he? I literally remember saying to my siblings, like, how cute is it that, you know, every video mine is always the one who's sleeping. He's going to be so, he's going to be so chill as if what a, what a puppy acts like at six weeks old is any indication of what you're in store for. Uh, so I, yeah, I kept getting the videos and then I, it came, there came a day when I had to actually commit to whether or not I was getting this dog. And Amelia sent me his six-week headshot. And Amelia is a fantastic photographer. 
And I just saw this, I saw his face and I literally remember thinking, I am never going to love another dog's face the way that I love this face. And I just knew like, that's, that's my dog. I guess I'm getting a dog. Uh, and so I booked a flight out to Atlanta. Um, a good friend of mine from college was nice enough to meet me out there. Uh, we got, we got a nice dinner on a Friday night and then we, you know, went in the morning to go meet Bo for the first time. And then I brought him home to San Francisco. <laughs> now, did you live, do you, did you, do you live in the city or a suburb or what? Oh, I live in the city. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, no yard. Uh, I live in a, in a one bedroom apartment. Um, but I do live right across the street from a pretty wonderful park. And I also don't live far from the beach and from Presidio national park and, uh, San Francisco. If you don't have a yard, San Francisco is, is a still a really great place to have a dog. Um, there's also, I'm a, I, I trail run frequently in the Marin headlands where there's just miles and miles of beautiful trails. So, um, despite, I mean, I thought I was going to be fine without the yard. There were definitely periods in his adolescence when I was like, dear God, why did I get a dog without a yard? This is hell. Um, but, but I, yeah, I'm a city person, but you can make it work, but it is a lot of work to make it work. Yeah. But they're beyond that. Uh, we haven't even begun to talk about Bo as to oh, what, what oh, yeah. his breed is like and what he was like. And the, and I think you even in the article, you talked about a, nickname that um, is applied to uh, this particular breed or could be applied to this particular breed, which uh, is uh, demonstrates how um, fun-loving, active, yeah. <laughs> this uh, dog is. Before we do that, we're going to take another break right now, but when we come back, what is Bo's family nickname? Stop. Don't answer it. We'll come back in just a minute. This is John Smetanka on With Respect. We're talking to Katie Bindley, a writer with the Wall Street Journal, who wrote an article, a column called The Life I Never Intended to Love, Dog Owner. And we're going to find out who that dog is in real life in just a moment. This is John Smetanka, and we'll be right back. back and with respect with Katie Bindley, writer with the Wall Street Journal, deals, uh, write a, writes about uh, tech, tech issues, technology issues. But today we're going to be talking about a facet of her uh, own life, um, which is a dog. This is John Smetanka. So Katie, what about Bo? How was, was he, yeah. was he as placid and sleepy as the dog, the first uh, uh, dog that you sat down with and the, uh, who ignored you totally and, and, and was sound asleep or quiet and placid and is that the same guy? 
No, no, Bo did not turn out to be very calm or quiet or any of those things. Um, so when I when I told this friend of mine who had an older GSP that I was getting a puppy of my own, he texted me this meme that I'd never seen before. And it basically shows GSPs in different stages of life um, and, and puts a little visual representation of what you can expect. So I think it's like, I forget the exact dates, but I think it's like zero to six months and it looks like a GSP puppy. And then it's like six months to 36 months. And there's a picture of a velociraptor. For those, people, 30, for those yeah. people who have not seen Jurassic Park, oh. what's a velociraptor? I mean, just a complete terror. I mean, you, yeah, te a terror is really the only apt description, the best description I can think of. Um, and it, you know, it's it's a total menace in, in the movie and, you know, tears everything up and scares everyone. I, it, I think it eats a lot of people. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but just a complete terror. So, and then, you know, the meme shows 36 months on, then you see a dog again. So it's it's alluding to this phase that GSPs go through of being really challenging. And to be fair, I have seen this meme about some other breeds, including I think Ridgebacks and stuff. Um, but pointer owners, I do feel like, or GSP owners, I think, you know, we all kind of, a lot of us feel bonded, you know, once we sort of, when we're in the adolescent phase and, and come out of it, it's like a, oh yay, we're at age three. The dog has started to chill out a, a little bit. Um, but so I, when I got that meme, I was like, I don't even know what he's talking about. Like, why is he sending me this? Why is there a dinosaur <laughs> in place of my, of my super cute puppy? Uh, and for the first six months, Bo was an angel. I mean, he was wonderful. And I was meeting all these new people at parks and everyone. I mean, people constantly stopped me to pet him, to say hi to him. I had all these like new phone numbers saved in my phone, but it would, I would never know the owner's name. It would be like, you know, Blaze's mom or like Teddy's dad or whatever. It just become, it totally took over my life in a good way. I had all these new, just new people to talk to. It was very social. Uh, and then, I mean, then he became an adolescent. And um, yeah, the, the first thing that happened where I was like, oh, wow, this, this is getting challenging was um, he used to sit in the front seat with me because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't realize that like a dog probably shouldn't sit in the front seat with you. And I had the window down and we were driving to the beach in the morning and we were stopped at a light and he just jumped out the car window. Um, and yeah. And I looked and I noticed that on the side of the road, on the sidewalk, there was a milkshake. So I have like no doubt in my mind with Bo's senses that he smelled the milkshake and took off. And then he literally ran across four lanes of traffic. I was freaking out. It was granted. I was lucky it was a Sunday morning because it was pretty quiet. But um, this is a, a very busy road in San Francisco. And I got him back. But I was like, okay, that was way too close for comfort. That was terrifying. Um, and that, that was sort of the beginning of this really, really difficult phase. And it wasn't just difficult because Bo was an adolescent with a lot of energy. Uh, it was also difficult because it was having various health things going on uh, that were very expensive and time consuming. <laughs> so, which the main thing is he kept getting a parasite, which in San Francisco is not uncommon for dogs to get. Um, they get it from each other. They get it from water bowls. They get it from the soil. I mean, it's highly contagious, but he was getting it like all the time. And it's basically for whatever reason, his immune system was not fighting it off. So both started getting sick, like probably every three weeks. Um, and when I say sick, I mean, really unpleasant sick. He still had all his energy, but he was sick in the grossest way you can imagine. 
So mm. we were spending, I was spending like, I was outside with him like three or four times a night in the middle of the night by myself. Um, he would whine. We had to eventually try new medication. The medication made him like, I, there is a hilarious Reddit thread of, or it's some, it's, I forget if it's Reddit or somewhere else, but it's a whole thread about dogs that are on this medication that makes them act completely crazy. Um, I, I think someone described it as like, a devil riding on a horse with horns or something. I mean, it's just, we would be up, I would be up all night. Um, he would whine at me constantly. I mean, in fairness to him, cause he was sick, but also he was hungry. He was dropping weight because that's one of the things the parasite does. I think it's like steal their nutrients. Um, he also like could not get enough exercise no matter what I did. I was certainly not neglecting his needs in any way. He was, we were outside for, for hours every day. I was doing treat puzzle and puzzles and scent work in my apartment. Um, I would hide his toys. He'd have to go find them. I would hide treats around the apartment. Um, I was doing, I was spending literally all my free time outside of work trying to tend to this dog, but it felt like nothing I was doing was enough. And I mean, these dogs are bred for hunting and that is, you know, you are going to feel that if you are not a hunter and it's something that you have to live with and really put a lot of work into to, you know, to comp compensate for the fact that they are not hunting. Uh, and I also made the mistake of like, if he would whine, I would tend to him because sometimes I'd be on a work call doing an interview and it was like, I can't have a dog whining in the background while I'm trying to transcribe and, and take notes. And so I would, you know, maybe give him a Kong with peanut butter or I'd pet him or whatever, or, you know, he was whining because he was hungry and he was sick. So I would give him more food. So I kind of created this monster whiner who I just reinforced his whining um, unwittingly. It certainly wasn't on purpose, but so basically for like months and months, I, I couldn't have him in a dog walking group because there was too much of a risk that he would get sick. I couldn't, um, I had no one else to help me with walking him. And so I was handling all of his exercise needs, which were very heavy at that point in time and dealing with these sicknesses. And I mean, then he had a partially torn cruciate ligament. So he needed knee surgery. It was $9,000. There were an insane number of appointments tied to that. There were x-ray, multiple rounds of x-rays. I mean, it was, it felt like nonstop. I felt like I could not catch a break and like it honestly at some points felt like I was being punished for something I was just so confused as to how I could have ended up with in this in this situation so yeah I'll pause there <laughs> <It's a lot laughs> to well you you uh it sounds for example to me like you saw all ages of a child uh crammed into three years and <clears throat> a very active uh youngster and it takes up your whole life, your, all of your attention. I understand completely. Uh, I have had a number of dogs. I was raised as a dog person in a family that did not uh, appreciate or want to have dogs around. Uh, and uh, so uh, my brother and I uh, came to own dogs late in life uh, by comparison to uh, uh, some people who were raised with them from child. Uh, childhood, but it does, there are times when there is nothing else that you can focus your attention on because that dog is demanding whether he is or she is is uh, whining or barking or just laying there and you know they're in agony or they're, they're not feeling well. And that, that also 
requires you to emotionally give a lot of attention. And so, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting experience that you went through. Now, has he made it out without you killing him? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get into this in the story a little that there were, I mean, there were nights, like the number of times that I have cried about stress related to Bo, there's no way that I could possibly count it all. I There were actual nights where I had to leave my apartment and like go, I would go sit in my car and just like cry and be like, what have I done? I used to, you know, as I mentioned, I'm not married, I don't have kids, like uh, that's, you know, that frees up so much time. I, I used to be able to kind of pick up and travel whenever I wanted, I could um, I just had so much freedom, um, which, you know, there are, there are a lot of, you know, drawbacks to, you know, not, not being married and not having kids at this stage of life when, when you want to be, but, um, but the bonus is that you can do anything you want when you want and everything's on your own terms. And what I realized that I had done is actually taken from myself, you know, the, the best part of, of being single. Uh, and that was really hard to sort of grapple with and kind of mourn. I kind of mourned the loss of that. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, on the flip side, Bo has, you know, Bo opened up so much for me socially and so much for me emotionally. And, um, and we have come out on the other side. Um, and, and just like that, meme showed he he just started I mean we I I certainly did more work I got more training help I you know we got through his surgery recovery which was six months long um he had to be unleashed that whole time but we I guess eventually just I became a more knowledgeable dog owner he grew up a little I reached out for help when I really needed it and and I'm grateful to Amelia put me in touch with this wonderful trainer Nori, who I just adore, and she has Bo's brother, and um, I've I've called her when I've been in distress, and she's been a wonderful uh, uh, help to me. And over time, he just became, like I put it, like a, a a more regular dog. He still has a lot of needs. I mean, we're we're outside a lot, like, and Bo does come with me everywhere because if we go to the beach for an hour and a half in the morning, or if we go for a trail run we get home and he crashes for a few hours and he's totally content. But then if I want to go run errands and let's say I want to be gone, let's say he's napped for three hours and then I want to go run errands for three or four hours. That's a really long time for him to not have had any stimulation. And so he just comes with me everywhere. He comes shopping with me. I mean, the number of times he's been in this little boutique on Fillmore street is like absurd. Um, mm -hmm. He comes with me to the coffee shop. He comes with me everywhere. I hated seeing dogs previously. Um, but he's, he's so good in those settings. It's wild. I mean, he's like the best little shopping companion <laughs> and he love he comes with me on car rides. Just, to, you know, we'll just go for a cruise sometimes with the window, not all the way down because I learned my lesson on that. <laughs> uh, and, and, um, and he still whines sometimes because that is his way of telling me that he needs something. And, and sometimes he just needs, he just is saying he needs more attention when he's already getting plenty of attention. But like, it's, it's just, it's tolerable now. It's, it's, um, you know, he'll whine when he's super excited to get to the beach because he's just, he can't contain his, his excitement over that. Um, but yeah, he's just manageable now. He's like a regular dog and I don't, I don't feel like I've ruined my life at all. I feel like I've, my life has expanded in ways that I never could have imagined. And I mean, the main, honestly, the main thing is like, okay, what has Bo done for me? I mean, 
I just had no idea that you could love an animal this much. It has absolutely blown my mind that uh, I don't want to make myself sound like some kind of martyr, but like I have, I have sacrificed a lot for this dog and mm-hmm. people will frequently, frequently tell me that I'm, you know, dog mom of the year. I mean, <laughs> I didn't even, you know, I, this is this, this story I wrote and even, even our hour long conversation couldn't, couldn't come close to covering everything. I mean, I haven't even mentioned he's been bit twice. I mean, there's, there's a whole host of other things that, that have happened. Um, but like the, the main thing is, you know, I, I lost some things, but I gained this relationship that I just didn't, I didn't know existed. I never understood, um, the love of a dog and its person. And now I do. And I feel so lucky for that because, you know, you can, people can, you know, disappoint you and hurt you. And, um, it's not to say, of, of course, like, I know I'm loved unconditionally by, by my parents and others in my life, but I know that there's times when, you know, I might bother them or I might, you know, annoy people or, or, you don't mean, you mean that you're actually not perfect. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so there's times when maybe even though we are loved, we don't, we don't, we're not feeling it too much. And that's the difference with, a dog is that no matter what is going on, Bo is always ready to give me only love. You know, he's never, mm-hmm. he's never like, well, I'm kind of mad at you. So I'm not going to text you back for three days or, or I, you know, like mm-hmm. he's just, he's always right there ready to, um, ready to like shower me with attention and affection and all the things. It's the magical thing about, Oh, I'm not going to say every single dog is absolutely perfect, but it's a magical thing about dogs as a generality, at least. And certainly all the ones that uh, have been around me and my family. You come home, you've had a bad day with, in my case, uh, crooks or or bad things that I've prosecuted or people I've uh, represented in just stressful times. But... When you walk in the door, and there is there's Buck, hmm. there's Duchess, there's Justice, there's all of the dogs that were part of, of uh, my life, uh, and they love you. They just love you. Where have you been? Hey, I, let me tell you what happened today. Let me t- I, got, I got lots of stuff to tell you, and, and what's more, we can play. Ooh, let's play. I like to play with you. You're a wonderful person to play with. Oh, you're tired? Well, let me work on that. We're going to take a break right now. We're talking to Katie Bentley, who is a writer with the Wall Street Journal, uh, author of a column which appeared in July of this year called The Life I Never Intended to Love, Dog Owner. This is John Smetank on With Respect, and we'll be right back. back on with respect with our guest this week katie bindley a writer with the wall street journal a tech writer she writes about uh, how technology affects our lives 
But uh, tonight we're talking about one thing, that is her relationship with Bo and how, as we're going to be talking about now, how that relationship has affected her. Uh, this is John Smetanka. So, Katie, when we left off, you were trying to, to encapsulate in, in a few sentences what effect Bo's entry into your life had on you. We know that, that you gave time and stress and agony and, and uh, sympathy and, and dollars and time to, uh, to him. What did he do for you? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's like the best adventure buddy. He's the best. Um, I mean, I just, one of the things I love is waking up on a Saturday morning and, you know, grabbing his leash and taking a run out to the Presidio and then coming down by the beach and letting him off leash and just like uh, making, you know, letting him run around and then making our way slowly back and grabbing a coffee. And it's like this two hour ordeal that will, that will do. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess he, he, he motivates me to always well, motivates me. I don't have a choice in getting outside multiple times a day, <laughs> every single day. <laughs> but I mean, that's been great minus when I've been like super sick and then I got to find someone to walk them and everything. But um, it's, a, it's a funny thing. There's been so many days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I do not want to go for a walk right now. This is the last thing I want to do. I mean, last year, I mean, I, I, or earlier this year, it, it poured rain in San Francisco for what felt like every day for two months. I'm sure it was not actually every day for two mm -hmm. months, but it literally was an insane amount of rain for us. And there were so many days I had zero interest in walking him or doing anything with him outside. And then without fail, every time I get back and I'm like, I'm so glad I did that. I feel better. Like just getting outside is, is therapeutic and wonderful. And he gives me a reason to do that literally every day. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, like I, on the social front, it's it's wild how many people I have met through Bo. Um, I brought him on a road trip with me to Oregon in September. We went out of town for eight nights together and um, made our way down down the coast. And just like the number of people who come up to talk to him and then end up sitting and chatting and the number of people who come up and say like, oh my God, I had a GSP when I was growing up and it's so wonderful to meet your dog. And there's one guy I'll, I'll never forget in the Presidio who we met who came up and he just started crying when he was saying hi to Bo because Bo reminded him of the dog that he grew up with. And then you like, we fast forward a couple months and Bo and I are walking past, past this restaurant and these people like, I don't know if they look familiar or Bo went to say hi to them or whatever. And I was like, have I met you before? And his friends were like, oh yeah, he started crying when he met your dog a couple months ago. Oh, <laughs> and they're oh. just like... It's kind of wild, the, you know, the effect that, um, and I, I'm sure this is the case for a bunch of different breeds. You know, you grow up with a golden retriever and you get sentimental when you see golden retrievers. And, and if you grow up with a GSP or your grandfather had one or whatever, you feel this strong affinity for, for the dog. And it's, it's really cool to be able to um, watch him have that effect on people. I've actually looked into getting him trained um, or certified, I guess, to be a volunteer at some of the like hospitals here we've got a program that I can get him certified to do that with and I would love the idea of volunteering with Bo and kind of continuing to to open up my my life in in ways um you know he takes up so much of my time I'm like oh okay could I could I volunteer on my own it's like no Bo and I should just volunteer together you know so there's yep. 
we had um, a prior guest on the show, Maria Godavich, who is a um, an author of uh, several books, uh, Doctor Dogs, Soldier Dogs, Secret Service Dogs, uh, and so on. And she likes to, she loves dogs. And one of the fascinating things, each of her books focuses on one interrelationship, kind of interrelationship between uh, human beings and dogs in ways that um, when you read the, her books, they're just um, remarkable. And uh, she lives out in San, or near San Francisco, out in, out in a peninsula out there somewhere. And um, listening to her talk about, for example, in her book on doctor dogs, the various ways that, that dogs instinctively, not all, but instinctively, many of them, can sense when you are in trouble. Not just, oh, yeah. not just sad, but really sick. And yeah. uh, we had a case uh, situation uh, somewhere in, that I'm familiar with that uh, uh, one of my dogs, uh, standard poodle, woman, uh, woman, all right, that's how human I consider them. <laughs> um, and uh, we had a, a, a person who's in the office, and I will tell you I have heard a lot of situations where people suffer over a long period of time because of all different kinds of things. But I will say that this particular person that I'm thinking of had more in 24 hours uh, in that person's life than I could imagine anybody bearing. And as my uh, law partner sat there and listened, uh, Carly, while this woman was sobbing and crying, went over and just sat next to her and put her head on this woman's lap. Mm. And the woman stroked Carly, and Carly just was there for her. And um, I I thought, that's that's an instinct where the dog knows and, and, and feels empathy. I don't care whether that's anthropomorphic or not, but I believe that they do feel great empathy for the person they happen to be with. So I, I'm, um, I'm a great dog lover. Uh, I also recognize it can be uh, difficult, sometimes can be hostile. I've, had, I've tried a, a case where I represented a dog to save him because after he had bitten somebody the three times, uh, I ended up having a trial in court. And... Uh, while we were going through the trial, the, the prosecutor um, was at the closing argument of this case, and I had the dog in the court sitting next to me, um, was asking for the death penalty for this dog. Because, oh, my gosh. Okay. And, and so as he was saying, I'm sorry, Your Honor, but this dog needs to be put down. Absolute truth. The dog went, I, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but it's true, and it epitomizes some of the character interrelationships between humans and and uh, canines, dogs, uh, that I think is so remarkable. And that's uh, one of the reasons, uh, having read your article, uh, I wanted to uh, to chat with you. So, would you? There's a point at which you are going to likely 
have to be around while Bo passes on. This is just a biological thing that's happened to me and eight dogs. It is extremely stressful. Um, just awful, awful stressful. But I, for, even though I vow, uh, oh, that's it, no more, I still go back. Hmm. Would you, will you, can you become another parent to another dog? That is a good question that I have thought about uh, quite a bit, I would say. Um, I, well, first of all, if I were to get another dog, I would get, I think I would get a GSP rescue that is three or older because then, <laughs> then all the people who think it's horrible that I got a dog from, from a breeder, I can make it up to them and make it up to all the dogs that are currently do not have homes. I, I didn't know enough about rescues at the time. I knew rescues, rescues existed, but I, um, I think I, I was, I was just naive and thought that they must have a lot of issues and that a first time dog owner would not be a suitable fit. And they didn't end up getting given, getting given up twice. Um, but so that said, if I were to get one, I could, I could see myself getting uh, possibly an older GSP, but I also, I don't know. I can't, I don't, I don't know that I believe that there's another dog out there for me. Maybe that's just like the myopic viewpoint of someone who still just has a dog that she loves that's pretty young but um sometimes I just think he's just meant to be my dog and meant to be my only dog um and that you know if I meet someone with a dog then that dog can can also be in my life but that I, I just don't know it's, it's so hard to say because part of me feels like Bo is my only dog you know I'm listening to you and I'm thinking this dog has gotten under your skin, into your soul, and has opened up parts of your soul that you weren't aware of, that you had, you know, maybe didn't know was there. And I'm going to suggest to you that if you're anything like the people that I know, even the ones that started off saying, ooh, dogs, ooh, they poop, um, it's, it's a wonderful experience, and it may happen to you again. I hope that it does. Uh, but it, it is, in any event, uh, what, happens to, what happened to me over and over and over again. I say, no, no more. And then I, I had uh, miniature schnauzer, and a stan, uh, standard poodles, um, Irish wolfhound, Gordon setters. So, at any rate, we are coming to the end of our time, unfortunately, so what's, what's the ultimate for you? Uh, what is the take that you would like to convey to our, our, our audience about um, the relationship between not just you and Bo, but you, but do dogs and other human beings, whatever. How does it, how does it, uh, how would you, what do you, how do you want to summarize all this? I guess, um, at some point when I was thinking about endings for my story, this line came to mind, which is not how we ended it, but it's just that um, I'm not sure you can become a dog person, but you can fall madly in love with a dog. Uh, I still like to anyone out there who is not a dog person and thinks that they can't become one. Like it can kind of be true. I still don't. I mean, like a Ridgeback ran up to me on the beach today, slobbered all over my leggings and like got, the slobber on my hands and I was still like 
ugh, that's gross. I still yeah. don't like yeah. that. I wish that owner had called her dog before he got to me. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I don't have the same like freak out reaction I used to. I just kind of take it in stride now. But you can kind of be both, like not a dog person, but someone who has a very deep connection with your own dog. And I think that that's fine. I don't think you need to, um, I mean, it is true. I now like stop and talk to people and their dogs all the time. So there's so many people who would say that I am a full blown dog person because I, I ask all kinds of questions about different breeds, how old are they, that, that is a part of me now that never was, uh, there's just still some of those, you know, remnants of non-dog person, but I guess I would, yeah, tell, I would want people who think they can't ever be dog people to know that, if a dog comes into your life, you might be able to love it in a way that you sort of can't Never even fathom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we've run out of time. And I, I appreciate so much uh, your coming on board here and talking about uh, Bo and, and your life with uh, before and after and with him. And so um, thank you very much. We've been talking to Katie Bindley, a writer with The Wall Street Journal, the author of the column... Uh, which appeared in the journal, The Life I Never Intended to Love, Dog Owner. Katie, thank you very much for joining us on With Respect. Thank you for having me. It was really fun to talk about all this. The name of our program is With Respect, and remember our mantra, if you show respect to other people, they will show respect to you. <laughs>